Well, I am excited to kick off our summer sermon series today. Um, Each Sunday during the next three months, we'll be spending time listening to and learning from Jesus. We'll be listening to and learning from the parables, from the stories that Jesus told. And one of the things that I want us to make sure we never lose sight of is the importance of immersing ourselves in the words of our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. And you know, when you really focus on Jesus' teachings, it's remarkable just how much of his instruction was delivered through parables, through these short stories that are full of meaning and full of truth. You know, a good parable is better than a picture. It's worth more than a thousand words because it challenges us as listeners in a way that rational arguments just can't challenge us. A good parable doesn't just explain meaning, it actually creates meaning. An effective parable doesn't just illustrate an idea, it vividly delivers that idea into the hearts and the minds of listeners who are willing to hear. And that's what we're going to be doing this summer. We're going to try and let Jesus do for us that very thing this summer, vividly deliver his truths into our hearts and into our minds. And as we move through these stories, we'll see that the overriding theme of Jesus' parables is kingdom. You'll remember that John the baptizer came and announced that the kingdom of God was near. And then Jesus' arrival signaled that the kingdom of God is here. And Jesus, in parable after parable, tells us about his kingdom. He vividly delivers to us, to our hearts and minds, what God's kingdom looks like and what living in God's kingdom is supposed to be like. Jesus' parables are kingdom stories, and they're invitations for us to join with him in his kingdom. And I want you to know up front that this series of kingdom stories is going to be challenging for all of us. I'm going to have to work, and you're going to have to work, to make sure that we are able to actually absorb the truth that Jesus intends for us to carry in our hearts and in our minds. Because to fully appreciate Jesus' parables, each week we're going to need to go back. We're going to need to go way back. We're going to need to go back centuries. need to go back to a completely different time, to a radically different culture, and try to hear these stories as if we were a part of Jesus' original audience. We're going to need to put on our first century sandals and go on a long trip we need to travel 7,000 miles from here and 2,000 years from here. And in some ways, that's going to be the easy part. See, the difficult part is going to be to hear Jesus' stories with different ears. Not with our 21st century Western Christian ears, but with 1st century Middle Eastern Jewish ears. But we need to do that so that we can discover the kingdom truths that Jesus was teaching then and that Jesus will continue to teach us now. But we won't stop there. We won't stop 7,000 miles away and 2,000 years away. We're going to bring these stories forward so that we can hear what Jesus is saying to us now. So let's go back. Let's go back and join Jesus at a dinner, and let's listen to him talk about a great banquet. We'll be in the 14th chapter of Luke's Gospel. And as we pick up this story, Jesus and his disciples have been traveling through various towns, various villages, and they're on their way to Jerusalem. 
And Jesus has been healing, and Jesus has been teaching, and Jesus has been telling stories. And as that has happened, his reputation has continued to grow. He's in one of those towns now. It's the Sabbath. It's the holy day. It's the day when work is prohibited, and the time has been set aside to rest, but mostly to worship God. And on this Sabbath and in this town, Jesus has a dinner invitation It's a dinner invitation at the house of one of the town's religious leaders. And it really shouldn't surprise us that Jesus is on his way to dinner with the local religious leaders. That would have been normal. See, a traveling teacher, a traveling rabbi comes into town. He has a significant following. He has a reputation that's growing. And the leaders of the local synagogue will want to check him out. They'll want to see what he's about. They'll want to see what he's like. And especially they're going to want to quiz him to see what he believes and see what he's teaching. Because they'll want to know, can this teacher, can this rabbi, can Jesus be trusted? And very quickly, as we read, it becomes evident that Jesus isn't your run-of-the-mill traveling rabbi. We saw as they're walking to dinner, Jesus, instead of being quizzed, is the one who starts to quiz them. They walk by a sick man, and Jesus asks them a question. He says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? They don't answer him, so he gives them his answer by promptly healing the man on the Sabbath. And then when they arrive at the host's house, Jesus watches everybody jockeying for position at the table, everybody trying to get the prime spots at the table. And Jesus gives what seems like unsolicited advice about which seats they should be choosing. And then if that wasn't enough, Jesus seems to lecture the host about who he should have invited to this meal. Not his friends and relatives, not his rich neighbors, but Jesus said you should have invited the outcasts of your society. Now let's listen. But let's listen in a particular way. Let's listen as if we were invited to this dinner, as if we are at that dinner. Some of us are there as friends of the host. Some of us are there as neighbors of the host. Some of us are there because we are just curious about who this man is. But we're all there together, and we all have a few things that are in common. One of the things that we need to have in common as we listen to this story is we need to have in common the fact that we are all pious Jews. That may be difficult for us to to grasp and listen that way, but let's listen as if we are pious Jews, as obedient Jews, Jews who are very serious about our faith. The next thing that we need to all have in common is we all need to be a little bit on edge. We need to be a little bit uncomfortable because, quite frankly, this man, Jesus, hasn't been following the script that he should have been following. He said things that weren't what were expected. He's done things that we wouldn't have expected, and it's made us all more than a little bit uncomfortable. And finally, the thing that we all need to have in common is we need to have in common the fact that none of us has a clue that Jesus hasn't really been talking about dinner invitations And he hasn't really been talking about seating arrangements. Instead, Jesus has already started talking about his kingdom. And he's about to tell a kingdom story. And what triggers this kingdom story sounds like a rather innocent statement. A rather innocent statement that's made by another man who's sitting at the table with us at dinner. 
Jesus has mentioned the resurrection of the righteous. And in verse 15, this man says to Jesus, he says, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Sounds like an innocent statement. But really, it's not an innocent statement. It's a leading statement. It's a fishing statement, if you will. And it isn't surprising that this man has made this statement because everybody there, us included, everybody wants to know, what does Jesus, what does this new rabbi, what does he believe, what does he have to say about who's going to be invited to the messianic banquet? You see, we also need to understand that when we sat down to this meal and this conversation started, we joined in a 700-year-old conversation. A 700-year-old conversation about the Messianic banquet. It's a conversation that's been taking place among the Jews ever since the prophet Isaiah said this. Isaiah 25, starting in verse 6. Isaiah said, On this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. In that day, they will say, surely this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord. We trusted in him. Let us rejoice and be glad in his salvation. See, we have joined a conversation that may sound more than just a little bit familiar to us, even with our 21st century ears. It's a conversation about the return of the Messiah. It's a conversation about eternal life. It's a conversation about those who are going to be saved and those who are going to be condemned. It's mostly a conversation about who's in and who's out. And not surprisingly, for those of us who are there, those of us who are good, pious Jews, those of us who are sharing this meal with Jesus, the answer to these questions is really pretty clear. Who will be invited to the Messianic banquet? Well, we'll be invited to the Messianic banquet. Who will be saved? We'll be saved. Who's in? We're in. Those answers would have been very clear. Who won't be invited to the Messianic banquet? Well, the outcasts won't be invited. The poor, the lame, the blind, they won't receive an invitation. Who won't be invited to the banquet? Well, the foreigners. They won't be invited to the banquet. The Gentiles, the Samaritans, they're out. Who won't be invited to the banquet? Well, anybody who isn't a pious Jew... They won't be invited. See, those answers would have been obvious to all of us. Only pious Jews will be invited to the Messianic banquet. All others will simply be on the outside looking in. You know, it's not surprising that all of us there would believe that we were all in and everybody else was out. But what would have been very surprising, in fact, would have been shocking to us, was that Jesus, this traveling rabbi, would have a radically different view of the invitation list to that banquet. A radically different view. 
And it's not just an invitation to a banquet that Jesus is talking about. He's talking about invitations to his banquet. See, what Jesus would have been expected to say about this great banquet would have sounded something like this. Oh, that we might all be pious and meticulous keepers of God's great law so that we may be counted worthy to sit with the Messiah and all other true sons of Abraham at his great banquet. Good, pious-sounding words. But instead, Jesus, instead, the Messiah said this about his kingdom banquet. He told a story. He told a parable. So let's listen to that story, that parable with our first century Jewish ears. Luke 14, beginning with verse 16. Jesus said, A certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. Now, banquets then aren't at all like banquets now. There was a completely different protocol in place then. If you were invited to a banquet, you gave your RSVP to the servant when you were invited. And everybody who was invited was expected to attend. They were expected to say yes unless they had a very good excuse for why they couldn't be there. So the guests to this banquet, they've not only been invited to the banquet, they've accepted their invitation to the banquet. And they're expected to attend And preparations for banquets were very different then as well. This is before refrigeration. This is before grocery stores. This is before electricity. This is before natural gas. There weren't caterers that you could call up. Preparation would have involved things like slaughter and butcher. Preparation would have involved things like grinding of grain and the cooking of bread and the cooking of meat. And all of these elaborate banquet preparations would have been driven by the number of guests who were expected to attend. Those who had already been invited and those who had already accepted. The right number of places would have been set. The correct amount of food would have been prepared. The proper quantity of wine would have been ready to be poured. And only then would the servant be sent back out. Only when everything was ready. Let's listen what happened next when the servant did go out. Verse 18. But when the servant went to tell the guests that the elaborate preparations were complete and it was time to come to the feast, they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. We all know things happen, right? Circumstances change, situations come up, and we just have to change our plans. And that's what it sounds like is happening here. There was some land that was bought. There was some livestock that was purchased. There was an impromptu wedding that took place. And all those things sound like reasonable excuses. But first century Jewish ears know better. First century Jewish ears know that these are not reasonable excuses. See, this would be like inviting me over for dinner and having me show up and you have spent all day getting the dinner ready and just as you're putting it on the table to call everybody to eat, I say, oh, I need to go wash my hair. But really, that's 
a ridiculous excuse. Or maybe more to the point, I tell you that I've got to go take a look at the house that I just bought, completely sight unseen. Or I need to go test drive a car that I just bought without ever having looked at it or ever having given it a test drive. Or maybe I tell you that I have to go home and satisfy my lust for my wife. These aren't reasonable excuses. These are unreasonable excuses. You see, no man of that day would have ever made the decision to buy something as important as a field without having spent hours walking that field to determine its worth. No man of that day would have ever bought a single ox, let alone five pairs, without having already worked them in the fields to see if they were trained, to see if they were sound, to see if they had value. And certainly no man of that day would have ever insulted his host by suggesting that it was more important that he be in bed with his wife than at the table with his family, his friends, and the host. See, these excuses that have been offered up are not only unreasonable, they were intentionally insulting to the host. And the fact that guest after guest offered up lame excuse after lame excuse makes it also clear that there was a coordinated effort to humiliate the host. What they had in mind was that the host was going to throw the party where nobody came. And so that explains the host's initial reaction when his servant come back, comes back and reports these excuses to him. Verse 21 so the servant came back and reported the excuses to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry, and he ordered his servant go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And then having done this, the servant said, Sir, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out into the roads and country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were originally invited will get a taste of my banquet. We can see that the master's anger isn't surprising. The very people invited to his banquet are trying to embarrass and humiliate him, so his anger isn't surprising. But his reaction is surprising. His reaction is surprising because he chooses grace instead of choosing retaliation. See, the master, instead of retaliating, instead of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth and an insult for an insult, the master simply changes his guest list. After he's been rejected by all those who were originally considered worthy to be invited to such a great feast, what the master does, he invites the very people that those pious Jews, that we pious Jews, those of us who are dining with Jesus, he invites the very people that they had rejected. They had rejected as being unworthy, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. The master chooses grace by making the unworthy worthy. He makes them worthy simply by inviting them to his feast. They are worthy of dining with the master because the master has invited them in. But we see the master's grace didn't stop there. 
because there's still room at the table. So the master now does something that is completely unthinkable. He invites those who aren't even welcome in the city, aren't even welcome in the town. See, Jesus is talking about the people who had been who would have been afraid to even venture into a Jewish town. The foreigners, especially the Samaritans. And they, too, have been invited to the master's table. And can you imagine what it was like for those people to get an invitation to the master's table? They would have been immediately suspicious of that invitation. You know, this is one of those offers that you get in the mail and you take a look at it and you say, This is simply too good to be true. There has to be a catch. But there wasn't a catch. You see, Jewish noblemen simply didn't invite foreigners to their table. That just did not happen. So these invitations would have been so unexpected that those who received these invitations wouldn't have even believed that they were true. So they had to be made to come to the banquet Now, the servant didn't force them to come. He didn't bring them uh, by threatening bodily harm or something like that. But the the servant had to encourage them to come. They had to be convinced that there wasn't a catch. They had to be persuaded that this too-good-to-be-true invitation was actually true. It was legitimate. It was real. And that, Jesus tells us, is what the kingdom of God is like. See, we have a king, we have a master who invites everyone to his banquet. The pious Jews are invited, but so too are the outcasts of society, they're invited. And for us, thanks be to God, so are the Gentiles and so are the foreigners. And so at that meal, on that Sabbath, in a nameless Jewish town, the 700-year-old conversation about who was in And who was out was changed forever. It was changed forever when the Messiah declared that all who will respond to his invitation are welcome to his banquet. But I don't want to leave us at the dinner table. I want us to push away from the table. I want us to no longer think of ourselves as honored dinner guests. Instead, what I want us to do is I want us to stand in the sandals of the servant. The servant, the one who took the invitation out. The one who was working for the master. And as we put ourselves in the sandals of the servant, I want us to answer this question. How will we, here in Albuquerque in the 21st century, how will we serve our master? How will we serve the Messiah? How will we serve his banquet. And I know you're good listeners, and I know like all good listeners, you can make your own list of how we will serve the master, and I encourage you to do that. But I'm going to suggest to you five different ways in which we, as faithful servants of our master, Jesus Christ, can serve him and his banquet. The first thing that I believe we can all do is we can all be like our master, and we can respond to rejection with grace instead of with retaliation. See, when the invitation to our master's banquet is rejected, what we will do is we'll simply widen our focus. We'll expand our invitation list, and we'll invite others, because everyone who responds to the invitation, everyone who responds to the invitation 
is welcome at our master's table. Second thing we'll do is we'll be able to respond with grace because we recognize that there is always room at our master's table. Our master's table is as big as our master. And our master is beyond measure. There is always room at our master's table. And the third thing we'll do is we will even expand the guest list to include people that we might think are unworthy. And we'll do that because we recognize that everyone, everyone is unworthy of the riches at our master's banquet. But we also recognize that anyone can be made worthy by our master. And we will also understand that some people will just find this invitation to the master's banquet too good to be true. They'll find it too good to be true because of their past or maybe because of their present. It's something that makes them think that they are unwelcome at the master's table. So what we will do is we will assure them and we will show them, we'll show the unwelcome that they really are welcome. And the way that we'll do that is be by being welcoming ourselves. See, we are the master's servants, but we were the unworthy. We were the unwelcome. We were the unworthy and the unwelcome until our master invited us to the feast, and our master made us worthy, and our master made us welcome. And since there's always room at our master's table, we will be people who share our master's feast. And I know you might be here today and you may not be a servant of the master. You may not be a servant of Jesus Christ. And I know you may be here today feeling that you are unworthy to sit at Jesus' table. Or you may feel that your past or your present makes you unwelcome at Jesus' table. And I want you to know, but more importantly, my master, Jesus Christ, wants you to know that he died to make you worthy. He died to make you welcome. And he is right now inviting you to his great banquet. So won't you answer his invitation and come join him at his banquet today? You can do that in a couple of different ways. We're going to stand and sing a song that we call an invitation song. If you're ready to join Jesus' banquet, if you're ready to become his servant, you can walk to the front and let us know that you have made that decision. You may be more comfortable doing that in a more private setting. A couple of our elders will be back in room 104. You can make your way to the back during the song. You can go to room 104 and talk to a couple of our elders and let them know that you have made that decision. Jesus is inviting you. Won't you answer him today? Let's stand. Let's sing.